What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome back to the Roster Watch Podcast. This is Alex Dunlap. Today on the podcast, I bring you my conversation with a great friend of Roster Watch Nation. He is Matt Kelly, the Podfather. Uh, you know him best from Roto Underworld Radio, the wildly successful podcast that he has there for the website, Player Profiler. Uh, Matt is an entrepreneur in this space, a thought leader in Dynasty League football and redraft. And in DFS, we have a lot of things in common, and uh, I've been a frequent uh, guest over on his podcast. It was his first time here with us, and I think you're going to really, really enjoy it. We always have a lot of fun when we get together and start talking, especially about these rookies coming out of the combine and some of the interesting data that he can pull uh, from his site, playerprofiler.com. That's the best place to uh, find his content and his premium services at playerprofiler.com. You can also find Matt on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion and you can follow his podcast Roto Underworld on Twitter at Roto Underworld. With all that said you can get access to multiple podcasts per week uh, here at Roster Watch via a Roster Watch Pro subscription. Sign up is quick and easy and it's due to support like of listeners like you that all of this is possible so we thank you, thank you, thank you. If you don't want to get a pro membership at rosterwatch.com but would like to support the podcast, the best way to do so is subscribe, rate and review. And now I bring you my conversation with the Podfather. This is Jerry Jones, and you're listening to Roster Watch. So here you have it. You know him. You love him. He is Matt Kelly. He is the pod father joining the Roster Watch epic podcast performance for his first time. Matt Kelly, what the hell's going on, brother? This is my first time on the podcast? Yeah, it's the first time on the pod. You come on the serious wow, show. Wow, I've been on the serious show a few times. I didn't realize I hadn't been on the podcast. This feels great, man. Maiden voyage. D- d- you could consider it a step down or a step up. That's just all That's all about how you view these it's things. It's just another step, man. <laughs> it's just, it's just another step. step in lockstep with Roster Watch <laughs> yeah. on our assessment of some of these prospects. I can't wait to, to hear your feedback from the combine, but from what we talked about prior to the combine, you know, I think that we agree on a lot of these guys. No, absolutely. And we'll get to that in one second. First though, uh, favorite, favorite Antonio Brown moment in Buffalo. (laughs) 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 Was was it the, was was it the part where rap sheet, (laughs) rap sheet blew his load early? Was it the part where, uh, was it the part where um, Antonio Brown told Rosenhaus, "There's no fucking way in hell that I'm going to Buffalo. All they have is an Applebee's." Uh, what What was your favorite part of that whole of, of, of that whole story time? 
when Antonio Brown goes on to Yelp and just starts looking for stuff <laughs> that people with money need. That was a great right? memory. Whether right? it's a massage parlor or whether it's restaurants, high end restaurants, you search Michelin star and Buffalo. So he has this app. Maybe there's this app that rich guys have that we don't even have that you have to have a certain net worth. <laughs> like an MX black card app. Right. And he's on the MX black card app looking for products, services, restaurants, and he's just getting no results, no results, no results. <laughs> and, and you could see that he's just sweating and he just picks up the phone and calls Rosenhaus and is like, N -n -n no fucking way. Yeah. I just, no <laughs> fucking way of all the places, right? He could talk himself into going to Oakland. He could talk himself into going to a lot of places where these athletes have such confidence in their abilities. Think about Antonio Brown. He didn't go to a division one university, went to central Michigan. He, I, I don't think he graduated high school. I think that he was homeless in high school and he couldn't even graduate high Is school that true? because he had nowhere How to did live. I not know that. No, I think in his final season, I think the reason why he ended up at central Michigan was that he didn't have any, uh, uh, uh any high school coach, relationship with colleges from his senior season that he could leverage <laughs> in order to get a D one scholarship that he lost all of that because he went homeless for a period of time. A super sad story that he was all over the place just in terms of finding a place to live and survive during that time. He somehow got connected with central Michigan, went there and wasn't a dominant force at the college level, right? We know that didn't, melt faces at the NFL scouting combine like DK Metcalf, but he somehow believed in himself the whole time that he could become the best receiver in the league. And that's what he has been the last five years to, to get from homeless to best receiver the last five years. It takes such incredible confidence. It's, it's a level of confidence. You and I don't even understand. Like, it, it's just like a foreign thing. It's, a, a, it's like a, an alien brain would be required in order to have that level of confidence in yourself. And for him to look <laughs> at an NFL team and say, you know what? I can't fix this. I can't help this team make the playoffs. Even I, in all my confidence and all my swagger, a, a man who's so confident hubris, that he bleaches his mustache, that, that you that would go confident. as far as, as, as sporting a blonde mustache <laughs> that he wouldn't think that he's capable of t helping the bills turn it around is such a stinging indictment of what's going on in Buffalo in the current state of the bills roster that he just shook his head. No, I think that there are 31 other teams that he could talk himself into. He could talk himself into going to Jacksonville with Nick Foles, super bowl champion, <laughs> John Gruden in Oakland, super bowl champion. I think that every other organization in the NFL could woo him with the exception of this one place Buffalo, which also just goes to show what a fuck you, the Pittsburgh Steelers are willing to hand out to Antonio Brown. Yeah. Enjoy your time in Buffalo, bud. It's like sending him off to fucking Siberia. It's like, I, it's like if I talked about it on one of our podcasts, it's like, it, they, they, that is, that is an organization that just specializes in, in petty. I mean, they just, they really, really do. And I, I said from the very beginning, they're going to fucking, they're going to ship his ass off to, to 
to the Buffalo Bills. I thought I thought last yeah, night. Yeah, they'll take last to fuck. Yeah, totally. And, but now it's saying it's it's like now the word is so so. What do you think, man? Like, do you is the relationship with the Steelers so irreparably damaged to where it's like the genie's completely out of the like he has to be traded at this point because they're saying that the trademark is dry, drying up on his ass. So I mean, there really aren't that many teams. Um, apparently, not that many teams sort of left in this sweepstakes. What do you think? I just think it'd be funny. I want him to stay in Pittsburgh <laughs> just for the comedic value How of it. I need. I have him be? in Dynasty, so I want him to stay in Pittsburgh because nowhere he goes other than perhaps Green Bay. Could it be as good as it has been in Pittsburgh? I mean, Pittsburgh was number one in pass to run ratio last year. Right. <laughs> That's what you want if you're a wide receiver. That's what you need. And no lady he doesn't on appreciate that. Year. that. Right. Right. His loathing of Ben Roethlisberger has gotten to a point, and that he would have to play with Ben Roethlisberger for an entire season is just pure comedy. <laughs> I want that to happen. And, and yeah, and to be honest, I don't think that it would really affect Juju that much. I kind of like Juju. I kind of like Juju with Antonio Brown there almost as much as I like Juju with Antonio Brown not there. And I know that goes against against your law. Of what the what is that law about the targets? Law of the something target. Oh, the, the law of the conservation of targets. Right. So the so the law of the conservation of targets would say um, would say that no matter what you want a B going for Juju. But, but you know my law. Well, that's true. Yeah, the, the, it's a fallacy that. The number one wide receiver helps to protect the number two receiver from number one cornerbacks and frees him up to produce more fantasy points. That's not true. You want that wide receiver in the number one wide receiver chair. You want that target share, even if the targets are less accurate, even if the completion percentage is lower when directed at that receiver because the attention of the defense is so strong in bracket coverage. We saw what happened with. DeAndre Hopkins, remember what about the Tyler Boyd in age 2017 with DeAndre Hopkins with Savage at quarterback right. and no other receivers. Will Fuller was on the IR. Remember Tom Savage at quarterback. And yet what happened? DeAndre Hopkins was just as productive in the second half of 2017 as he was the first half because of the law of the conservation of targets. The additional target share canceled out the lower efficiency driven by the defense's attention on Hopkins and the inaccuracy of Savage. However, what are we talking about here without Antonio Brown? Then Juju's in play to be the number one wide receiver in fantasy football with Antonio Brown there. He's still a top 10 receiver. So it's not, it's not bad, right? No, it's, that's what it's I'm saying. Question like, of, do you draft him in the first round of a done of a rookie draft uh, of a, of a, of a fantasy draft or is he more of a second rounder with Antonio Brown on the roster? It's not a big difference. Uh, no, I get it. I get it. And, and, and like I like I, I talk about the like the law of the conservation of targets. Sometimes I feel like it, it like it's, it's exactly like you said. I call it the law of shifting attention. And it was the law of um, basically the Tyler Boyd law from this year. And, and I think it has more to do with number two wide receivers stepping up into the number one slot whenever a number one goes down. You can't always count on all of those targets, you know, going to that number two wide receiver with the same efficiency that they would have gone uh, had that number one wide receiver been in there. So, you, like, you can That's right, yeah. Like, you you, you got to be careful, right? Yeah, you got to be careful. You can't, you can't take that out to the furthest extreme. On both ends. You can't ends, run right. and, and extrapolate 
this law, the conservation of targets too aggressively. When a wide receiver steps into that number one wide receiver chair, the targets go up, but not as much as extrapolations may infer because of the additional attention and the fact that you inevitably have other receivers stepping up on the depth chart. James Washington could ascend. He could take a big step forward in his development and that helps to offset the difference. So you never know the bottom line though. If you have a receiver that is going to be the number one option, the clear cut alpha on the team that threw for the most yards, the most air yards, the hot, the greatest pass to run ratio in the league last season. That's a first round wide receiver, especially if that receiver has is Juju Smith Schuster and, and it yeah. is posted some of the greatest efficiency at age 21, 22 we've ever seen in the NFL that he is on a star star receiver trajectory unlike any receiver we've seen. I mean, I think that he's right there with Amari Cooper, like how we felt about Amari Cooper heading into year three. That's how we feel about Juju Smith Schuster. And I just have a, I don't know for sure. We don't know anything for sure, but just the way Juju handles himself in the media, his engagement with the fans, his engagement with the team. He doesn't strike me as this Amari Cooper business-like guy. And for that reason, I think that there's a very small chance that he busts when elevated into that number one wide receiver chair. I don't think he's Amari Cooper. Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, and who knows? I mean, Amari Cooper's story is still being, still being written clearly, but I, I just, nobody knows what the hell happened with him. Man. <laughs> yeah, I'm still just, I'm still shaking my head about that. We have a whole off season to, to, to figure it out between now and then, of course we have all the, yeah. Can you imagine, can you imagine 2017 if, Michael Crabtree were traded. How much enthusiasm there would have been for Amari Cooper? The, I mean, the the law of the conservation of targets would have been would have been misused and extrapolated to such an aggressive place where Amari Cooper would have been going in the first round that season. You say all the but you, but, yeah. but basically, Michael Crabtree was the shield against the over exuberance. Whereas once Antonio Brown leaves, th- th- there's no checks on the exuberance around Juju because everybody loves him, man. I've never seen this. He's just beloved. He's he, it's just, yeah. you pull a thousand people. It's going to be a thousand to zero. <laughs> Love Juju versus don't like, like Juju versus don't like Juju. Even like the Ravens fans and the Browns fans and stuff. All of the people up there. Everybody the loves North. Him. It's crazy. You have to love him. Yeah. Yeah, He's yeah. so lovable. He's <laughs> in the mall playing catch with the kids. He's running routes. He's like, he's around shoppers in the mall. He's going and adopting puppies and giving them away to the kids. Special needs. Yeah. <laughs> it's like someone gave him like this Instagram playbook and said, you do these 10 things. Everyone will love you in the whole world. Yeah. yeah. The, the Andy did the whole thing with the, uh, whenever his bike got stolen, the city just banded together to help him get that goddamn thing back. Um, all right. So, so, so like a man, I mean, and he's also so productive. I mean, think about what he did it at age 21, right? He so was 21. Young. He's so young, start still, of, right? you know, and then, and then 22 last season, 18.4 fantasy points per game. So if you're a top 10 fantasy receiver at age 22, you're really, really, really good. Amari Cooper was never a top 10 receiver ever. I'd like to see just so I'd like to see. So, um, so that would make now Juju Smith Schuster. That would make him, what is he now? 23, 
Oh, he's not even. He's 22 and a half. Okay, so Riley Ridley's older. He had just turned 22. Riley Ridley's uh, just as old as... Riley Ridley's just as old as Juju Smith-Schuster. Oh, yeah. A lot of wide receivers that are coming out are as old or older than Juju Smith-Schuster. Because remember, Juju Smith-Schuster was productive as a true freshman at USC. And then he was bananas. One of the best true sophomore seasons in the history of college football. That's how we knew he was going to be great in the NFL. Whereas you have players like Hakeem Butler who had to red shirt as a freshman because they were so raw. And then in their red shirt freshman or second season, they produce zero or close to zero, you know, a handful of catches. And it's not until their fourth season in college that they finally put it together. Like that is terrifying in the context of what the typical star receiver trajectory is where they produce much earlier in their career. That's why a player like Hakeem Butler to me is terrifying. John Sherman Smith Schuster was born on November 22nd, 1996. And, and you have Riley Ridley born in July of 19, um, was that 19, 1997. So it looks like Juju actually is a small bit older by a matter of months than Riley Ridley, who maybe you can just answer me this question. What in the fuck were people talking about him being wide receiver one? Before this combine, and if they and if they come on social Wait, media, no one had a wide receiver. One. Some some people had some some people did. There they were people I respected, so I'm not going to call them out here. But I mean, has anybody Stop come it. out? Has anybody come out and just apologized and said like, as if they just kind of farted in the airplane or something like that? And they said, "I'm sorry, I did it. I didn't mean to do that." Everybody knows I, I did it. Everybody, every, everyone knows I did it. That was awful. I might as well just get out in front of this goddamn thing and just say, "Have you I'm ever sorry. seen that? Have you ever seen anyone say I'm wrong in this industry? It's very rare. It, it, it only happens once in a while. Uh, it's it's inexplicable. I don't know what to tell you. To to have this low of athleticism to to bottom out and crater at such an extent at the NFL scouting combine for Riley Ridley. You just don't see it very often. You have to understand that these guys get invited to the combine because they're productive college players and they're impressing scouts at some level. Well, how are you impressing scouts and how are you productive? Well, you have to leverage your athleticism and then convert it into on-field production. Well, it starts with some semblance of athleticism. So it's just so rare that you would have a player who checks in in the 15th percentile in the explosion drills, the 18th percentile in the agility drills runs a four, five, eight at under <laughs> 200 just, pounds. I told his I mean, player this, this is the stuff of back of the roster camp cut players camp body. He looks like a camp body who would not be someone who gets invited to the combine. When I think of someone that gets invited to the combine, I think of, Small school players like Jazz Ferguson, Ashton Doolin, it makes sense. <laughs> Scouts saw, oh, wow, these guys are explosive. These guys are quick. These guys are dominating small school competition. That makes sense. You see prolific producers, Keneal Harry, they get invited from the major conferences. Everyone from Alabama always gets invited. All these guys from Ohio State get invited. Your guy, Terry McLaren, performed well at the Combine. He, I think, raised his – I think he, he – he jumped up a round or two in the NFL draft McLaren, as did uh, my guy, Paris Campbell, Riley Ridley yeah. lost two rounds, wherever scouts <laughs> had him pegged, 
second, third, fourth round. No. He's now fourth, fifth, sixth round. Dude, it, I'm looking at, I pulled up his player profiler. His best comparable is fucking Garrick Dieter. <laughs> 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 there, were, there were people who were talking about this guy being the wide receiver one in the class, and he and he's and he's and he's and he's a he'll be a twenty two point six year old. Uh, no, currently currently via player profiler, um, twenty so over twenty two and a half. He'll be twenty three by the time he starts his own rookie year. And it's a very important. Never thing. anything more than six hundred yards as far as being a college receiver. Alex, this is very very important, and and, and, and this is a case study that all the film grinders need to know about. They need to internalize what happened with Riley Ridley because it's super instructive for those of us that are analyzing college prospects. You can watch a player on film. You can watch the tape. You can be what are you doing? You're rewinding a game and you're watching the game back. Right. And because you don't know how fast the cornerback that's matched up with that guy is, how athletic that cornerback is. You can't always fully comprehend what the other, you can't comprehend what all the other 21 guys are doing. And you see these plays out of context. And if you don't have a stopwatch and and no one does sitting down frame by frame, measuring the quickness uh, against other receivers when you're watching film what might look like fluidity, what might look to you aesthetically pleasing in terms of body movement may in fact be someone with an 1150 agility score and a 113.9 15th percentile burst score on player profiler, but you just can't perceive it when you're watching, right? When you're watching the AAF, some of those players look really fast and explosive because of the context, because it's, 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 it's the theory of relativity. They look fast relative to the players they're playing against. And I'm not saying Georgia played great, great teams. I understand that, but there may be a situation where you're watching him execute a particular play and get separation against a particular cornerback at a particular time. And you cannot, and that's the, and it illustrates the danger of extrapolating out. We talked about the dangers of extrapolating earlier, extrapolating out based on a play, a move, a a head fake, a hip fake, right? Right. And extrapolating that one play, that one catch into a career in the NFL. Whereas when we have actual data, where we have dominator rating, we have breakout age and we have just raw production. These things matter more because they aggregate all the instances that Riley Ridley is out there trying to command targets and trying to convert receptions. And and that's a better measuring stick for a prospect than breaking down an individual play that for whatever reason just struck you as aesthetically pleasing. And the problem is when film grinders exist in this echo chamber, they're sharing the same clip with each other. So now everybody has seen the same clip of Riley Ridley. How many clips have been shared amongst that group from Ashton Doolin's career at Malone? Zero. How many other indictment clips where Riley Ridley is just overpowered by a bigger, stronger, faster cornerback. Those clips are not shared either. 
So that's the danger of being too myopic, zooming in too close on these players. While you live in an echo chamber, it can open you up to making some really bad calls like slotting in Riley Ridley as the number one receiver. <laughs> it's just so, it's so bad. I, I'm, I'm looking over my rankings right now. I've done work now on about 30 of these players and I can't, I mean, I, I don't even see how I can in good conscience even have Riley Ridley inside my top fi- top 15. I'm not sure that, what is, what is Riley Ridley's ceiling? Is his Would ceiling? Would you rather have Jazz Ferguson? I'd rather have Jazz Ferguson. Uh, haven't done, I, I like jazz Ferguson's workout. I haven't done enough work on him though. I, I was in Lo, Lucas oil watching all these workouts and I have some, some thoughts from that, that, I, that he's a late breakout guy yeah. and he has low agility. So he has, he has all the problems that you would, that, that, that DK Metcalf has, right. But he was also a dominant receiver at Northwestern state. So there's a chance that a guy with a 70 plus percentile dominator rating and a 98th percentile height adjusted speed score. There's upside there. Yeah. So I, once you get past the top 10 receivers, so my top 10 receivers, I, I think are, are, are pretty locked in. I don't have that many hot takes in my top 10. I think my only hot take in the top 10 is that I don't have DK Metcalf in the top three. And I have Ashton Doolin in the top 10. The rest of it's pretty straightforward. Both of those things are, both of those things are probably, I mean, I don't, I currently don't have DK Metcalf in my top, in my top three. And I, I have more work to do on Ashton Doolin, but I can't imagine. I mean, it's like the top 10 is really, who do you, who do you, it's, it's very solid. Well, you're going to have, you're going to have RCA I'll White I'll side you, in there. I'll bet you that you, have, I'll, I'll uh, bet you we could have the almost exactly, not probably the same order, but I'll bet you we could have ex- almost exactly the same guys besides Ashton Doolin in our, in our top tens. Let me just, that's l- right. And you might have Hakeem Butler in there. I probably will leave Hakeem Butler out of my top 10. Oh, okay. Yeah. I certainly have Hakeem I'm Butler just, in there. Yeah. I'm just super terrified of him. I have a theory about Hakeem Butler that not only does the late breakout terrify me, but the, the extreme lack of productivity early in his career at Iowa State, it wasn't like he was at Ohio State or Alabama. He wasn't competing with other pro-ready prospects. Alan Lazard is what people will say, but Alan Lazard uh, sucks. Oh, 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 okay, uh, okay, <laughs> okay. So th- that, that's, the, that's the stinging indictment yeah, of Hakeem Butler. Right. But I go beyond that because I have to keep stack ranking these guys, right? I put Hakeem Butler up against Debo Samuel. And if I am a GM in the NFL, I want Samuel. I want guys that look like Debo Samuel, which I believe is like a more athletic version of Robert Woods. I want guys like that in us in this spread attack that are versatile, that can play all the positions in, in that it, and play them athletically. And they don't have weaknesses in their game like Hakeem Butler and the agility issues. So to me, that's the same reason why DK Metcalf's not in the top three and Paris Campbell is. It's the same reason why Debo Samuel and Ashton Doolin are in the top 10 and Hakeem Butler is not. I struggle with JJ Arcea Whiteside for the same reasons. He didn't test. He's more of a jump ball red zone guy. And that guy is a bit scary. So you're going to have Whiteside and Butler probably higher than we will. But it's not just because a particular metric or a particular or a composite profile that he didn't score as well is that I also have a theory that there is a particular build and athletic profile that fits best in the Sean McVay offense, which so many of these NFL teams are starting to implement. And you, you're looking for a more athletic Robert Woods. 
You're not looking for a more athletic Kelvin Benjamin. No, I get it. I get it. And with, you know, with the King Butler, I even said, like, you know, I also cover the, the Texas Longhorns for, you know, a, a portion of my, you know, profession. And I, so I, I, ch- I chart all the Longhorns games. I, I, I do write-ups on them. I, I, I analyze them for the site, orangebloods.com. And I, I even said last year, whenever we're coming into that game, everybody on the message boards was talking about Hakeem Butler, Hakeem Butler, how are we going to manage him? He looks like some kind of bigger A.J. Green. And whenever I got to the game, I said, well, you know, he looks okay. But he, to me, honestly, I said, I think Tylen Wallace is, is a better player that Texas has faced this year. I think that um, I think that certainly Hollywood Brown was a better wide receiver that Texas had played, you know, that that year. Um, Marquise Brown. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what to do with Marquise Brown. Well, Marquise Brown did the test gonna, at the NFL Scouting Combine, and he's 170 pounds. 166. But i got to put him in the top 10. I'm not going to leave Brown out of the top 10. Brown could be a lesser version of Tyreek Hill. Yeah. And I'm very interested in a lesser version of Tyreek Hill. You understand? Well, right. Like the, the upside with those receivers, the uh, – Deshaun Jackson's and Tyreek Hills and Tyler Lockett's, they do well in the NFL. The NFL is moving more toward the smaller in all the positions, right? Quarterback, Kyler Murray, wide receiver, Marquise Brown. (laughs) Go back to Baker Mayfield. You know, the smaller receivers are producing more. That's why I'm going to have Andy Isabella in my top five. That's because Andy, Andy Isabella to me is a weapon to me. I think, I think of Andy Isabella as a, a, in the context of the modern NFL, the modern NFL systems. I think of Andy Isabella as a, a more dangerous weapon than DK Metcalf. That's a, and that's a crazy thing to say because DK Metcalf just looks like the ultimate soldier of a football player, but it's, oh, yeah, he looks so right, good, right. right? He looks so good. But then when you actually think about it in practice, what is Andy Isabella really good at? Well, he's good at everything, right? He's good on uh, shallow routes. He's good at intermediate routes. Well, we think he's good at intermediate routes. Didn't run that many intermediate routes in college and also the deep routes, right? He, he looked good running those intermediate routes at the senior the best bowl. At? Yeah. He's the best at double moves, right? Andy Isabella is, a t- is terrifying, if I'm an NFL cornerback or a safety, I'm terrified of Andy Isabella because I never know what the hell he's going to do. And the moment he pulls one of these double moves, I can't fucking recover, Alex. No, and, and he's like and he's like an 85th percentile overall athlete. I mean, and and Andy's Andy's to not have a guy with those kind that yeah. kind of precision route running with that athleticism and straightaway speed. It's just terrifying. Yeah. The, the, you know, and, and he's also, I mean, he's also 190 pounds. The one thing, even from back to the senior bowl, like we talked about, you worry some about the hands catches because he's just got those small little eight and a half inch hands. But like I said back then, like how much do you really worry about these guys being hands catchers if they've already gained that much separation? I don't care. I want them to be hands catchers so they can frame the football out away for their body and get upfield for better yak, right? Like uh, uh, hands catching a football is in a sense a way to generate separation whenever you can't do it with your feet, right? You get your hands out right. there and you separate from the defender with a hands catch. So it's uh, just whenever kept making these hands catches during pra- or kept making these body catches during practice, you know, Byron, my co-host, would say to me, he's like, hey, man, how many, how many of those body catches did you, see, did you see Wes Welker make? 
you know, when he was running wide open across the field on some drag. That's like the way you picture Wes Wilker catching a ball is, you know, a ball. He just sucks oh, it into yeah, his gut. Yeah, it's just a ball coming into his body and getting upfield because he separated so well. It's like it's kind of the same thing with Andy Isabella. And maybe I'm a little bit low on him. I have, I, I have him down to, more towards number seven or eight where I really – I'm struggling with – That's fine. That's fine. I think the, the, the top six, I think, is going to be pretty clear – um, because I think you have to have Paris Campbell in there. Do you have Paris yeah. Campbell in your top six? Yes. Yeah. Because so he, he was, for me, I he have the Keneal best Harry at one. Do you have Keneal Harry number one? Uh, it is Nikhil Harry. <laughs> what what'd I say? Keneal. <laughs> what did I say? Keneal? Yeah, it's Nikhil. But he's a. Uh, oh my God! I had it. No, you know why? Because I had it written down, transposed. <laughs> I had I had the K and then the N written down. Sorry. Kicking in. No, I know. You're right. You're right. I, uh, you're right. I, it, it's. I have yeah, yeah. I have an abs- I have I have an actual tie in my um I have a tie in, in, in my model after putting in the um after putting in the forty yard dash. I wanna hear it. I wanna hear it. It's 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 Nikhil Harry and AJ Brown. Yes, that's my tie. It is? That's what we're talking okay. about. Well, yeah. Yes, I think it's those two guys, yeah. man. Those are the guys. So I'm I'm glad Those to, are the guys. I'm glad to hear, man. I'm I'm I'm, yes. I'm glad to hear that we're on the same page. Well, because with AJ with, with Nikhil what did you think? I thought that the four point five three for Nikhil Harry was a really was a really big win. That was the guy Best that showed up prepared. All right, all right. And then for because I heard that Arizona State coaches were terrified of him running the combine. That they were worried it would be a reflection on them that he's going to go run a four six five. Right. And 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 to me, it's like when you see his film and you see and you see the functional speed and it's fine in the open field you know, like anytime with the football in his hands like even returns like he's he looks dynamic and he looks fast man he looks like some sort of supercharged you know Sammy Watkins meets like Alshon Jeffrey or something but just faster and I just wanted to make sure that he wasn't like a lumbering sort of Alshon Jeffrey like guy in drills and there on the track. And when he weighed into 228, honestly, I was a little bit worried that he was going to look lumbering in drills. Dude, in drills, he looked like he flew through them. And did he really? Yeah. And then we, yeah. So he looked he looked smooth in the drills. Oh yes, dude. Him and yes. Him. Yeah. Him, I love hearing that. I love hearing that. Nikhil Harry, AJ Brown, and Paris Campbell were by far the best in on-field drills. At the at the NFL combine, so they they look slick. Yes, and I think the Paris and Paris Campbell was the one that moved up my moved up in my rankings the most, just based on that subjective experience. Because here's the thing: he 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 has everything that you want, and then when he fucking shows up and he's a ninety nine point whatever percentile spark athlete, <gasps> he runs a four three one. I mean, <gasps> and he weighs two oh five, and he's he's right there, just under six feet tall. It's like the perfect like. I mean, what he's like, it's just like Percy Harvin. He's like right there, yeah, like minus know, the migraines. I think he's much better than Percy Harvin. Percy Harvin was never as productive. Does Percy Harvin have a thousand yard season on his resume in college? I don't think I, so. I don't remember. I just know he's a sick no, man. No, I don't think so. P- Paris Campbell was used as the Curtis Samuel Swiss Army kind of, Knight right. player, yeah. right? The, but that's just because that offense, they just have so many weapons in Ohio State. There's always this. Um, uh, assembly line of pro prospects had it coming down the assembly line. I mean, was he going to, you know, usurp, you know, Curtis Samuel and all these other players that came out beforehand, uh, Noah Brown. Uh, no, these players end up becoming functional NFL players. So it makes sense that he would have to wait his turn, but he did. He, he broke out at age 20. 
it wasn't like he, he waited forever to break out like, you know, a Hakeem Butler or a Riley Ridley. Like he broke out at an average breakout age. It's just, he never dominated because it was such a spread them out attack. I was shocked that even though he logged a thousand yards last year at Ohio state, that because it was such a prolific offense with Haskins under center, that his dominator was only 23.5%. So that it is a concern that he's never been this ball hog. He's never been this target magnet, but like, it's just the same thing with Debo Samuel. It's just that he's like Debo Samuel. Like he's like a supercharged Debo Samuel, like all those things that Debo Samuel can do. Paris Campbell does them better. He does them more explosively. He does them more dangerously. Mm -hmm. He's just such an exciting player because you can put your head, you can close your eyes and imagine yourself game planning, right? For the next opponent. And you have this Sean McVay offensive system established, implemented. Where do you put Paris Campbell? It's like, where do you not put him? Right. Instead of trying to figure out how we can use a guy. It's like, I can't figure out how not to use this guy. Especially with all the jet motion that they're using these days out of that Sean McVay thing. <laughs> this guy, I mean, yeah. he's so, so many offensive coordinators are going to look at Paris Campbell, look at his body of work. And all he does is impress the scouts at the combine. You know, the, you know, the, 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 the old crusty college scouts that they're looking for what you saw right in these drills. Mm -hmm. So he's going to show well in those drills. Then they're going to go to player profiler. They're going to see these workout metrics and then they're going to say, wait, 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 what are we missing with this guy? And the answer is nothing. I'm, There's not, you're not missing anything. He's going to be a, a first round pick. Alex. He had a better work. He had a better workout than DK Metcalf. I mean, if you just, if you just look at the numbers across the, like he had a better workout than DK Metcalf, just because DK Metcalf had the horrible agility stuff. And you talked about it coming in, or I, I don't know if you did coming in or before we started when I was trying to get the, the goddamn audio set up. But, um, what, like, what the hell do we do with him? Because I'm almost scared to rank him too low because of. Well, you have to, you have to put him. Uh, we have him at four. I'll just tell yeah, you, we have him at four. Right. So fair enough. Because there's a Mount Rushmore of wide receivers. He's on the Mount Rushmore, Alex. Of course, DK Metcalf's on the Mount Rushmore, but I would rather have Paris Campbell. I think Paris Campbell is a higher floor player. And in dynasty leagues in particular, you have these guys for life. There's a lot at stake when you, uh, when a first rounder busts in a dynasty rookie draft, it, it really sets your dynasty team back. Oh dude. It's a, it, it's a big blow. It's a big crater that you yes. have to climb out of in dynasty. So the reason I would rather have Paris Campbell is because I think the risk is so much lower. He's such a plug and play Swiss army knife asset in the NFL on day one, he's going to be a star. I think he's going to be, he's the type of player you're going to see. You can see starting in week one, Paris Campbell can't see it with DK Metcalf. Just can't see it. I think they're going to try. I think they're going to, they're going to draft him in the top 10. Someone's going to do it. And then they're going to try to shoehorn him in to the, to the offense. Oh, and no he's going to end take up him in the top 10. You think somebody's going to do so, that? Well, it's every year. We, we always say that we always say there's no way John Brown's going in the top 10. There's no <laughs> way Ted Ginn's going in the top 10. We always say this. There's no way Kevin White's going in the top 10. Right. And then what happens every single year, Alex, it just takes one. It just takes one. It's like with Scott Boris. So, like, oh, there's no way someone's going to sign this player for over three. $300 million. It just takes one team 
out of 30 or 32 teams to do it. Someone's going to do it. They're going to try to scheme him early. They're going to try, they're, they're going to basically play him, either play him out of position or find reasons to get him on the field in the red zone. He'll end up being a third receiver somewhere and being super inefficient and underutilized because he's not ready. That's the problem with DK Metcalf. He needs a year of seasoning, but the paradox is by being drafted in the top 10 or top 20, he'll, he'll lose that ability and they'll pressure him into playing right away. Just, it happened with Brashad Perriman. They pressured him into playing with a partially torn ACL. They pressured, uh, Kevin white into playing. Mm -hmm. They pressured John Ross into playing. He had a part with a partially uh, torn ACL as well, or, or, or a partially torn knee ligament. So all these players, they end up getting injured in their first year. They get pushed too hard. They put the pressure on themselves. The coaches in the front office puts the pressure on the team. It's why so many of these top 10 wide receivers have flamed out. If you draft a wide receiver in the top 10, it's almost a death sentence. When you go back through time, <laughs> Darius Hayward Bay, and there's just so many bad, there's so many catastrophic examples of this. Whereas if you can get Paris Campbell and he's drafted at slot 20, the pressure's off or even better. Nikhil Harry gets drafted at the end of the first round, goes to a top team, goes to the Eagles, goes to some team that will be able to utilize him, goes to the Packers. Oh God. You, know, you can see Nikhil Harry going in the end of the first round to one of these top offenses and just thriving. It's very exciting. So for a lot of reasons, Nikhil Harry, AJ Brown, Paris Campbell, they're set up to succeed and DK Metcalf is set up to fail. Also the comps are truly concerning. There's this wide range of comps for DK Metcalf. Who, who, and who does it on? Who is it on player profiler? Who's the DK Metcalf? Well, comp? there's at the, at the, he, he's best comparable. It's a tie between Andre Johnson and Dante Moncrief. And really when you go down the comps, it's just bad comp, good comp, bad comp, good comp for every Martavis Bryant. There's a Julio Jones. You know, you go down the list and you think about these receivers and how their career trajectory played out, how that, what their, what was the career arc of a Chris Conley of a Robert Meacham of a Kenny Britt. Well, these are wide receivers that came into the league with extreme explosiveness, but bad and, agility, you know, 90th percentile spark X scores with the bottom percentile agility. It's a very difficult workout metric shape to overcome. Does DK Metcalf have the raw athleticism and perhaps the drive to be great? That is something that Antonio Brown has. Does he have that Antonio Brown gene? Maybe he does, right? There are some, there are some athletes that don't take anything for granted and they end up becoming, you know, Julio Jones. Like that's how it happens. Right. But more often than not, even like a Demarius Thomas got basically the bare minimum out of his career. Like we would agree, right? That's, the tip that's what we see typically happening is if you've been the alpha your whole life and you've been physically dominating your whole life, you don't, you don't implement those habits that an Antonio Brown has to implement in order to be great. And then once you get to a level of competition where they're running as fast as you and jumping as high as you, you're just a guy. And Chris Conley, I mean, I'm just looking back at some of these guys that had bad agility compared to what was just complete, like 99th percentile 
you know, vertical and, you know, 40 and stuff like that. Chris Conley kind of fits into that bucket. But, I mean, his three-cone was still 29th percentile, and his 20-yard his shuttle was still 30th percentile. I mean, that— Well, that's right. But also, DK Metcalf has the production issues where he was never the dominant receiver. He was the beta to A.J. Brown's alpha. Big time. Big and time. And so if you're going to be a beta receiver with that athleticism red flag— the agility score and that, that very um, enigmatic workout metric shape, right? If we built DK Metcalf in a lab, we, we, we would put him out in the wild and we just wouldn't know what he would end up becoming. Right. Whereas it, we know what Nikhil Harry's range of outcomes are. There's a much higher level of certainty that especially Brown and Harry they are going to be good pros. I mean, we're pretty certain of that. There's two of the best wide receivers to come along in the last five years. It's not just this class. Brown and Harry are exceptional. And you know, and with Brown, I have a hard time thinking about a comp for him. But man, when you watch these, when you watch these Ole Miss games, and you go, you know, when all three of them were healthy, Brown, Lodge, and Metcalf, it's like. Even in those games, it's very clear who the best player on that football field is, you know, and the best player on the whole football field who takes over football games is, is A.J. Brown. And that's just, I mean, that's just the way. There's just something there to it. I know it's not scientific, uh, but look, I, I mean, the data, he could the data be backs a it up. Bigger, he could be a bigger version of D.J. Moore. I think that's best case scenario for him is he's just a bigger D.J. Moore, bigger, better, Which everything is so D.J. Moore. Sick which is just so sick, which would be so sick. That's what I'm saying. When people talk about upside and no, I'm like, no, 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 no. It, it, you have to understand AJ Brown's upside is, is right there with DK Metcalf, right? It's not like DK Metcalf blows them away in the upside department. Hell no. Right. 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 D, 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 how much upside does Deandre Hopkins have? Well, the, that's AJ. That's right. That's Nikhil <laughs> Harry's ceiling, right? Yeah. So that's Nikhil Harry's ceiling. Is is, is is that's really good, right? Isn't that good? That's a ceiling, or right? it's not a good ceiling. I think it's okay. So I, I, the the ceiling argument for for DK Metcalf really falls apart when you realize how good Nikhil Harry and how good AJ Brown can be. Let me ask you this, and then I'll get off these rookie wide receivers. I want to ask you a couple of best ball questions before I let you go. I, I would just assume to never get off them. I can talk about <laughs> rookie wide receivers forever. <laughs> what, what, where are you on Kelvin Harmon? Can I, can, I, can I continue comping him to Allen Robinson? No. <laughs> I have to quit. There, there's, you have to quit it. There's yeah, been sorry. an embargo. In a, is, well, is it I really had this. I had this, you, you I had this DeAndre it? Hopkins line of demarcation for athleticism because when DeAndre Hopkins came out of Clemson, it was a concern that he was below the 50th percentile across all these metrics, but he was at least in that 25th to 50 percentile zone. Like he was at least a quality athlete. He just wasn't wowing you in any drills. He wasn't jumping off the screen, off the page at you, but he wasn't hovering down near the bottom. Like we see with Riley Ridley and these camp bodies that don't even get invited to the combine. Well, Kelvin Harmon really is, is, is walking that line. And I don't like how close he is to that line, that athleticism line. So he fell the most. I had Kelvin Harmon at number five. He fell the number nine tentatively, tentatively, That's Exactly. but I still have him in the top 10. Why? Because he produced at an early age that, and Hakeem Butler can't say that 
So I think that his floor is higher than Hakeem Butler. So with Harmon, he's right there with Ashton Doolin, Debo Samuel, and JJ Arcega Whiteside. Okay, so I think for me, it's it's in the, with those guys. And until Arcega Whiteside shows me he's a more athletic version of Kelvin Harmon, then I can't rank him ahead of Harmon if he's going to punt all the drills at the combine. Then I, you know, sorry, JJ, I can't put you over Kelvin Harmon. But as soon as the pro day numbers come out and our Sega Whiteside is clearly more athletic than Kelvin Harmon, then I'll, they'll have I'll have my ammunition to push him up ahead of him. But Kelvin Harmon has an X receiver body, and it's very possible. I'm very open to the possibility that he is just has that je ne sais quoi factor in the NFL. He knows how to get open. He knows how to use his body, all the things that people loved about him on film, that he is able to translate that into the NFL. We've seen players that are sub-athletes like Jarvis Landry produce. It has happened. It's an outlier, but it has happened. So I'm more concerned about the outlier of Hakeem Butler with that body type and that lack of productivity early in his career, that's actually more concerning to me than the productive player who tested poorly. Yeah. And uh, with that's it's so funny. I have, I have Harmon down at number nine right now as well, as you mentioned, like these, well, of course these things get, you know, you go through and as you think about stuff, think there can be shifts and you know, that's not a final, final rate rating on him. Plus I, you know, I'm not done with the class yet. There could be somebody that jumps ahead or, you know, who, who knows, but for, yeah, by the way, what's up with these microwaved dynasty rankings where the rookie rankings come out on Monday and Tuesday. Are you kidding me? You're kidding me. You think you can synthesize all that data from the combine and the 2018 college season, (laughs) you can put it all together and and you can create rankings. You can microwave them and then beep, 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 take them out and then put them up online after two days. No, you can't trust those rankings, those microwave rankings. You got to let the takes, you got to let the takes marinate, right? Morning rankings. You can print those out and throw them in the wastebasket. (laughs) JZR Sega Whiteside, man, the goat. I was so disappointed that he wasn't working out. Do you know what I got tilted with the most? I forgot who it was. Did on. you talk to him, by the way, and understand why? No, because during the time that he was, uh, during his slate of avail, like like at Roster Watch, we like we don't subscribe to any of the wire services for our photos or anything. So we just save the money just by getting all our photos of everybody at the combine. And so during that session, it was my turn to go get photos of everybody. So I didn't get to interview any of the players during his group, but um. I can go look at the transcript of his. Uh, I know Byron was over there talking to him. I can go look at the transcript. I, I probably should, should talk go look to at that. Byron, man. Yep. Um, but can't you pick up the phone and talk to Byron? <laughs> well, I, I, I can't right now. I'm, re- I'm recording a fucking podcast friends? if you didn't know better. Right, what happened to you and Byron, man? Is there something we should know? You guys aren't talking about this? On, on the day of, on, on, on the day that, so they, when they started out that morning doing, um, doing their, you know, they start out with the vertical. And the numbers from the vertical started coming in, and it was so. JJ Osega Whiteside was number one with the first group. Number two was, I believe, Miles Boykin, right? And so I guess the guy who was in there reporting didn't know that Miles Boykin was jumping and not JJ Osega Whiteside, and so he reported that JJ Osega Whiteside jumped forty three five. I just jumped out of my chair. I said, "We're about to have these about to jump out of the. Fu- we're about to fucking blow up Lucas Oil Stadium because he is more athletic than I. I even knew." 
Of course, the guy, I think it was like Ben Fennel mm. or something on Twitter. It was like a. <laughs> just. Boy, man, I've learned a lot, man. Two years ago, I'd have been a lot higher on Boykin. Yeah. I don't know what to make. But I've I learned my lesson. I haven't, I haven't done the work on, I, I've not done the work on, on Boykin yet, but um, I'll tell you this. He, like, as far as, as far, why do you think that two years ago you would have been higher on him? Because it, it's not like he was 22 Because two years ago, I, I was not focused on the right details and I was chasing athleticism. And, and now I feel like I've calibrated my process better where a guy like I have to come to Jesus on a guy like DK Metcalf. I love his athleticism, but I also know the NFL is going to draft him in the first round and he's going to get opportunity and to leave him outside your top five is too hot takey. And it's just not doing your rankings a good service. Whereas a guy like Boinkin, you have to get under the hood and understand that it's very possible for someone to be very athletic and it just doesn't translate. And it, it was hard for me to wrap my head around that two years ago. Let me ask you this, um, and just I know I said I'll, I'll be done with the wide receivers, but one guy near and dear to my heart, little Jordan Humphrey from Texas, which comes in and absolutely, we should put one of your like one of your Roto Underworld radio like like just shit the bed sounders here if I had one. Four, yeah, the fart noise. Yeah, the four seven five um, in the in the forty. I mean. How, what the hell can you do with that if you're an NFL team? And I mean, is that, no, he's not going to be anything. He's just, it's just, didn't, it ain't going to happen for him. No, it's not going to be anything because if you are running a four, seven, five, you have to be Jarvis Landry level productive and dominant. And unless you're that, then you're, you're a camp body. It's that simple. I, 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 I hate saying it because I want all these guys to succeed. Football is a dangerous game and these are gladiators and they deserve our respect. And I hate being sounding so dismissive, but Antonio Brown at least had average speed and was quick. Right. Right. And, And then he had all these things we talked about with the work ethic and the drive that were rare and, you know, that come around every 10 years, you give that to little Jordan Humphrey and he still won't be able to make it. I just, I wonder if there's uh, I just want to see if little Jordan Humphrey just, let me just see what his percentiles would have looked like if he was a, okay. So at least, I mean, little Jordan Humphrey being measured, but besides hand size and arm length, wingspan and weight, et cetera, where he's miserable, he'd be in like the 95th or higher percentile of all of these drills if he were an offensive lineman, if he were an offensive tackle. 95th percentile or higher. <laughs> I mean, he's 210 pounds. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, at least he... If he puts on 100 pounds, <laughs> he has a future in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, like, let's see. Let's see where he would be among uh, edge edge defenders. You know what's funny is that... Only 56%... these guys that tire in the league, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. You see these guys like Mark Schlereth and uh, the, the center for the Colts. Uh, from the Ryan Kelly... No. Oh, Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday. Yeah. So you look at a Jeff Saturday, a Mark Schlereth. They actually do now weigh 210, 20 pounds. No, it's crazy. It's crazy, right? It's crazy. Like how they lose a hundred pounds. Jeff Schwartz, the some of these dudes that yeah, the ex the ex ex offensive line dudes. 
Yeah. They know you can't keep that weight on, dude. You're cruising for a it's fucking heart attack. They, they, yeah, it's bad for your organs. Yeah. It's not cool. So, you know, these guys, they'll go into coaching. I mean, it's fine. Yeah. Ashton Doolin, let's just talk about him real quick. I've, no, yes. I've, I've done no work on the guy. What do you love so much about him? I mean, it looks like he was 83rd percentile spark score um there and are just, two big small school guys Jesus for me christ 65 percent of his team's receiving touchdowns 41 percent of his team's receiving yards he was basically the most productive player out of anybody i'm going to watch as far as his, his, his oh yeah as, as far as his well, market what's share. interesting is that with doolin they malone college started their football program and he was a recruit so he was playing for malone in their inaugural season and then after his final season in 2018, they shut down the program. They shuttered it. So oh, he was geez. there at the beginning and the end of the program. <laughs> so this is, that's how small that school is. So you have to put the dominator in context and the breakout age in context. Would he have broken out that early and been that dominant? Absolutely not. If he went to Ohio state, he's competing with Paris Campbell for targets. Fuck out of here. Right. You know, he might not have even ever broke out if he went to Ohio state. So once you put it in context, you understand that he's not a top five receiver, no matter how impressive all these metrics are because of the strength of competition, because he's not a D one player, but he's about as good as a non D one player as you're going to find. It was him and Emmanuel Butler were both in play to be that guy. There's always one guy, right? So who's it going to be this year? It's going to be dueling. Emmanuel Butler opted out of the 40, which was a huge disappointment. The other metrics average. So he needed to flash. He didn't Doolin did flash. I mean, the four, four, three comes out to a one eleven point six ninety third percentile speed score because he's six, one, two fifteen. This is the prototype Alex that NFL spread offense, offensive coordinators are looking for. This is what you want. He can play every position and you don't have to draw plays for him. Ashton Doolin. Un- unbelievable that we're that, that we're talking about this guy. Um, well, though no, the thing is, it's like okay, you were productive at a small school. You weren't just productive; you were the most dominant small school receiver of 2018. That's a real big accomplishment. Congratulations. Okay, but are you Willie Sneed? Right. Right. So he goes to the combine and he shows you. Oh no 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 no. I was just miscast for whatever reason. I went to Malone. Who knows what happened to him in high school? Remember, we talked about. Antonio Brown was homeless. So however he ended up at Malone, he ended up at Malone. We need the combine for guys like this. Yeah. That's why we have combine. So he goes out and he shows you, yeah, I'm above average in all these drills. So that production, that was real. And now you say, oh, wow. So now you can start to talk about intangibles. Now you can watch him in these drills. Now you can go to his pro day. Now you can talk to him. Now all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, this guy is a great cultural fit for us. We need to be drafting him in the fourth or fifth round. He probably will slip to the fifth round like Justin Watson last year, but Justin Watson's one of my top sleepers. It reminded me, like I was going to say, it reminds you a lot about the same conversation we were having about, about Justin Watson last year. Let me ask you just very quickly. Yeah, so Ashton Doolin is a sleeper for 2020 redraft. <laughs> yeah, all right, fair enough. Um, I'm already putting it down. Write it down. Malone University, any, any guesses to, to, to where that school is located? Indiana. <laughs> it is. It looks like it is located in close. Uh, is this could could this be right? Canton, Ohio. 
Ohio. There Camden, you go. Camden, Ohio. There we go. Yeah. Uh, Malone University. I, I always always like playing that game. Um, it used to be called. Well, it's that. It's that. It's that Rust Belt. They're very football aspirational in that Rust Belt. It, if you have a college, they they want to try to do a football team. Used to be called Cleveland Bible College. So. Okay. There it is. Um, all right. A couple couple best ball questions before I let you get out of here just because I have to. And by the way, it makes sense that we would devote all our time to receivers because they're fascinating. They're interesting. There's going to be a bu- there's going to be multiple stars that come out of this draft class for the NFL. So enjoy it. Yes. The running back class it's, it's is not, an apocalypse. It's, it's an abomination. Get out of here. We just need to fix tight ends. We need to. We fix- know Hawkinson. We know Fant. End of story. The quarterbacks. We know Murray. We know Haskins, end, end of story. story. Yeah. Everything, all of the interesting storylines, the fascination emanates 100% from this wide receiver group. And I think also, I mean, if we do look at running backs, because running backs rule the roost as far as fantasy goes, we're going to have to f- figure it out sooner or later. But it just seems to me like it's heading in a direction of, it, you know, we just need to see Josh Jacobs pro day and we need to figure out how, how healthy Rodney Anderson is going to be at some point during this. Cause people have forgotten how sick that man is. Um, yeah. Rodney Anderson is, is the perfect sleeper in the third or fourth round of dynasty rookie drafts. He's the guy Am I gonna be able to get him in the third. You think, I think so. Oh Jesus. Well, I'm overdrafting him in best ball right now. Cause I'm taking him in like the 15th round of every draft I can. Um, well, I, what? Okay. I mean, but, but he doesn't, you have to look at these, at, at these, dynasty services they don't they, they barely register rodney anderson yeah you're looking at scouting services and that's where there's sometimes there's a disconnect between the scouting services and the dynasty services and the Devi services there's a real lack of understanding of how good rodney anderson is because of the injuries so he's going to be a great source of value but there, there's a handful of guys alex barnes He's going to be a great source of value. Justice Hill is going to be a great source of value. You can chase some of these athletic players, the handful, the couple athletic players we have in this ridiculously absurdly abysmal class. <laughs> it's bad. And, 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 and just, and you can go chase those guys and, and, and fill in the rest of your, your roster with wide receivers. But Josh Jacobs is the one guy. If he goes in the first round, if he gets Sony Michelle level draft capital, then he's in play for the one oh one in rookie drafts. I mean, just oh, automatically. Yeah. Clearly, clearly. That'll so, be like, you know, because yeah. that's that's a debate. I mean, do you go Harry or do you go Jacobs? And if he lands on a roster where he projects to be the starter with early round draft capital, in fantasy football, you don't overthink it. You take the starting running back, right? Yeah, no. And you could always trade for Nikhil Harry, you know, in October. And there could be a right? yes, because yes. because receivers take longer to develop and they and their production is is spread out over a, a typically a longer career. The age apex for wide receivers is age twenty six point five, whereas with running backs is twenty four point five. So you got to get your running backs early in dynasty. But Jacob seems to be the only guy other than Miles Sanders that I think can be. Oh, yeah, I didn't a, think about a, a bell cow in the NFL. I think that. Right there's going to be questions about Jacobs. I'm not sure. I think his pro day might underwhelm and then, but it's, it's, it's the will of the NFL team to install him in whatever role. Cause I think that he's going to be drafted anywhere between where Mark, the draft range for him is going to be Mark Ingram on the high end, you know, early twenties. And 
he won't fall past where TJ Yeldon went because he went to Alabama. Yeah. That's the answer. Yeah. And I, so you go yeah. with that guy just chasing the opportunity. And then if you're chasing the ability, I think it's miles Sanders. Cause he at least has the size in the 70th percentile athleticism. No one else was size other than Alex Barnes flash athleticism at the combine. So those would be the two guys. If I'm going running back in the first round, I'm only considering Sanders and Jacobs. Yeah, and I, I, that, that'll be an awesome – I mean, the, the Alabama Pro Day is always an awesome one, and Jacobs gives us a great great reason to go this year just so we can get our own times on him and uh, see, see, how, see how the hell he does. I, I personally think he – I think he might be – I don't think he's going to disappoint at his, at his Pro Day. We'll see, though. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah. I th- I, okay, I, good. I think he'll run okay. I mean – I just worry about the agility drills for him, but we'll see. It's a fact. It's a fast like track Arian there. Foster, a fast Arian track. Foster showed great feel and timing with his cuts, but he wasn't necessarily agile. So it might be that it might be the case with Jacobs. So we'll see. We'll have to see. It's just that he's very much a black box prospect because he did not produce and he didn't run at the combine. So it's just very tricky. But like with uh, DK Metcalf, we know the NFL teams love him. So by extension, we have to rank them high. Right. Fair enough. You know, you, you, that's not, those aren't, there's places to plant your flag, Alex. That ain't it. You know, I'm going to plant my flag on Hakeem Butler. I'm going to plant my flag on Ashton Doolin. Right. I, I, I don't, I'm not out here uh, uh, tearing down statues of top three receivers or top three running backs. That's not how you win in this game. No, 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 not at all. Um, all right. So, how far down your board, if you were just drafting right now, as best ball drafters are, has, has Todd Gurley come with the news? Sort of last time we talked, it was on your podcast. I, I tried my best to get all the information that I could at the combine. I peppered Les Snead and Sean McVay with Todd Gurley questions that turned into various headlines. Um, spurring, spurring off of those various headlines, there was the nice job, Alex. By the way, <laughs> thank you, man. Good work. Just man. trying to I love that. Trying, trying to do the thing on on behalf of the community for sure. Even you though you are, man. Just, People don't get it, man. That, that someone has to ask those questions. Someone has to cape up for fantasy football take, in these contexts. And you know, Adam Schefter's not at the combine. You got to do that work. And it takes like, and it also they fought, like the teams beat reporters. Like they look at you like you have like you have like they literally, man. I I might as well have had like a hairy ass on my face with like a fucking cigarette coming out of the <laughs> asshole like smoking in smoking out of my butthole that's on my face they look you like you're a gremlin yeah just you know for for you know saying stuff like you know can can we expect 15 to 20 touches uh per game this season for carry on johnson they just look at you like what the fuck are you even talking about but um Regard- That's a great question. <clears throat> which which they acted like dicks. which they which which they which Bob Quinn said that he uh, uh, Quinn said that he doesn't believe in 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 the word bell cow. So great news for us, carry on Johnson dynasty owners. But um, as far as as far as girl, well, carry on Johnson, I think he'll just assert himself. Yeah, if there's a guy I want in the third round of best ball, it's carry on Johnson. Well, that's an interesting that's an interesting take because you can get him now, kind of. Third, you can get him a little bit later than the third. I think is eighty. He was going in the late third last time I checked, but if he's going in the fourth round, even better. Yeah, right now he's yeah. If this news it's, pushes him into the fourth round. I mean, that's that's good news for me. He's like he's all the. I, I pulled ADPs yesterday from uh from um from the draft app at least, and he was at like forty four. So what's that? Oh 4. yes, 4. fourth 0, round, 4. Johnson. Yeah. 
Um, Lock and load. But what about Gurley? Like, with the latest news that it's an arthritic deal was exactly what we talked about we were scared of on the last podcast. Like, how is this manifested and where you would actually take him? Are we talking about not taking Todd Gurley until the turn at this point? It it's one of those things with these knee injuries where they can really bother you. You can have arthritis, you can have tendonitis. It can bother you for months. I had tendonitis in my knee for three months. And then one day you wake up and it's just gone. It's just gone. It's just, it's what happens. It's, it's the body, man. The body yeah. figures it out. It's just like you have, uh, 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 uh like a, a rash or you have a wart or whatever. And you're like, oh, I have this wart on my toe. I gotta get it. I gotta get it burned off. And then actually you look down and it's gone. Yeah. You're like, how, what happened? how the fuck does the body like, do that? <laughs> how, 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 do, how do they do that? Yeah. Well, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. These bodies, man, yeah. they're really resilient and, 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 and elite level athletes are even more resilient because they can go to the pharmacy. They can go to the doctor's office. They can go to all these different places oh, yeah. to get their body right and sleep in some kind I of fucking chamber. I girly wants to be, the best running back in the league. I think that, that what all he's been through in the last few years and how he just keeps persevering and it, it's, it's just, he's Todd Gurley, man. I, I keep coming back to that idea. And we, we see this every year. There are players that we know are premium brands and for whatever reason, narratives start and, and suppress their, their perception. And these are, but when you actually zoom out and you look at who these players are, what they've done in their career, what is documented about their injuries, Todd Gurley is going to be 25 years old next season. He's going to be in, he, he is operating in his super prime. The idea that you would have the ability to draft a running back on the Rams with his talent profile at age 25 is absurd to get him outside the top three is a gift to me. That's oh, how I think. Okay. Of it. Well, fair, fair enough. I guess, man, I'm just, because I'm not a doctor, man. I'm not a doctor. And if he's not, he has the option of getting surgery. And if specialist after specialist in Los Angeles th- around the world are telling him that surgery's not needed or surgery's not the right way to go, then what am I supposed to do with that, Alex? I don't know. I mean, I am. Am I supposed to go yell at him for not getting surgery? I mean, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> and if they believe, and that tells me that they believe that this is going to heal on its own. And, you know, for example, uh, Tony Siragusa played his entire career with one ACL. No, what's Siragusa? Torres ACL. I mean, the, he's the goose. It's and, a different position, too. I know it's a different position, but I'm just saying that his other ligaments around his knee, the MCL, the LCL and the PCL, they all strengthened and they together did the job of the ACL in his career as a tackle in the NFL. That's just crazy. So it's crazy, but you know, he did it. He, he basically, he was afraid to report it because he was afraid he was going to get cut. That's unbelievable. He was on the Colts. So he didn't report it and he played through it. And then he, at some point he had a scope, you know, 10 years later. And they said, by the way, Mr. B- Mr. Saragusa, um, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but you don't have an ACL in the, it's been torn. It looks like it's scar tissue. It, it healed over about a long, you know, healed over many years ago. He's like, Oh yeah, I remember when that happened. Um, I don't want to tell anybody. Well, I'll say this. So, I'll say this. I, I really think that Todd Gurley is going to be back next year. I see. I just, I, I, I can't, you know, think about what it requires for you to really discount him. It requires for you to think that you are a medical professional to to a level that 
and that you have information that's not being released because you're, you're guessing. And there are so many injuries where we just can't believe this guy. They, remember Teddy Bridgewater wasn't supposed to play football again. Kind remember that? Of, there was, there was some of that. There There's was some so of that. much. Well, I'm just saying that every year, there's these unbelievable stories. And then a year after they come back, it's like you take it for granted that these players are out here getting a full workload with, with Frank Gore tearing his ACL multiple times early in his career. And he went on to have a stint of 10 years without getting hurt. Matthew I mean, Stafford. Just, I remember, he couldn't stay healthy. Matthew through Stafford, remember his, his, his shoulder, his collarbone every year. It's like it's had a degenerative condition. It's unstable at this play. point. A, yeah. He had a, a lack of calcium. He had os- early onset osteopor- osteoporosis. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, Matthew clearly. Stafford. Doctor, onset Dr. Matt Kelly. In a basic show title. Dr. Alex like, Dunlap. Oh, that's not what happened. <laughs> randomly, you know, hurt his shoulder. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. But I'm happy to draft Todd Gurley in fantasy football. Thank you very much. In the first round. Just, yes, I'm waiting to the turn. I'll draft him in the first round. I'm team running back in the first couple rounds. The only running back that I think is making a case to usurp him, but not based on what Gurley's doing, based on what I think that he's going to do in his growth and development and the improvement of the Carolina Panthers offense and offensive line is Christian McCaffrey. No, oh, I was going to ask you about I was going to ask you about him next and just in, just to clarify. Yeah, so Christian McCaffrey's the one guy where I'd say, you know what? But- but just I'm let me preface. But just let, let me preface it by by saying this. First of all, we we are both medical medical doctors, um, MDs. Matt Kelly, Alex Dunlap, MD. That's right. Uh, fantasy. But, I but, stayed at the Holiday Inn Express last the, uh, night. The, but here's the thing with with McCaffrey. Much like um, what you know, the narrative coming out of the combine, right? That we got from um, that we got from Ron Ron Rivera. And I believe from that, G- what's that GM's name? Marty Herney, something like that. I forget who even, he was a new one. Um, the deal was, Marty Herney. yeah, right. the, 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 the deal was he, they were saying they really need to do something and find a guy to, and it was, it was, it was hilarious, Byron's, Byron's response. But, 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 but they were saying we really saw towards the end of the year that we needed to find a guy who could spell? Um, who could spell Christian McCaffrey? He just got too many touches down the stretch, and we don't. I we don't, agree with them. I, I I agree too. And so and, and so Byron asked, like maybe like the guy who did it for the Rams, uh, CJ CJ Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Yeah. Oh, oh man, he said, Byron. He, he said Rivera just bristled at him. Windmill but, slam yeah, for Byron. But, but, yeah, I mean, so, oh, I'm sorry. Christian McCaffrey's going to get less touches, and he's going to move down from 24 fantasy points a game to 22 fantasy points a game. Uh, all right, that's fair. But, but so, how do you? So, right? so then, all right. So then, how do you? So he'll get 199 targets instead of two. Uh, he'll get 199 carries instead of 219 carries. How, what is that? He's not going to get less targets. No, right. The offense is going to be better. He only had Greg Olson's going to be gone because he's going to take the Monday Night Football job, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's just there's going to be more red zone opportunities in Carolina. They were outside the top 10 in team run plays called. So there, whether it's, it's game script, whether it's improved offense, there's all these other surrounding forces that can help to propel Christian McCaffrey this year, right? Because they were facing negative game script last year. Yeah. 
they weren't running a lot. They weren't running a lot because they couldn't. And that, and because the offense was inefficient overall, they weren't in the red zone as much as they could have been. So all these things can offset. He may not get as many total carries, but he may have the same number of red zone carries and touches because his share of the carries goes down, but the total number of plays called stays the same. Do you see? No, I get it. I, How the calculus works with Christian McCaffrey is he's going to be great no matter what. That's where I'm at. I think Alvin he's Kamara. He's so consistent, so reliable. He's the most durable running back in the league. We you know, are running some injury algorithms here, some early injury algorithms that we'll be releasing later as part of a more uh, robust injury forecasting system. And Christian McCaffrey is the most durable running back in the league. That's interesting. Well, we'll definitely be looking forward to that new product from you guys over there. I guess that's, is, is that a product? Oh, player I'm sorry. No, he, he, did, he showed up on one injury report one time in 2017 with a shoulder sprain. I'm sorry, Alex. <laughs> I forgot to mention that one time he sprained his shoulder and he was on the injury report as probable. And still, and still played. So oh, Of course he played. So Mark Ingram... If he's going to be gone from New Orleans, you don't have any hesitancy not putting Alvin Kamara above Christian McCaffrey based on what we saw. I think Mark Ingram would be a great candidate to go to Carolina. <laughs> well, that, that's kind of what I think too. Like I honestly yeah, think he should go to Carolina. Yeah. Absolutely, that's perfect. If they need that guy, he's happy to go and 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 pile drive into the line, ten to twelve carries, and not really impact Christian McCaffrey's fantasy output whatsoever. Alvin Kamara is another guy that I think that you could argue moves ahead of Todd Gurley because he was more productive than Todd Gurley in the first four games of the season when Mark Ingram was suspended. So that, that makes perfect sense to me where I start to question is when you start getting later in the first round, you start taking wide receivers over Todd Gurley. I am not, I'm not down with that. I'm not down with Ezekiel Elliott over Todd Gurley. I just can't do it. You know, I get the case for it that he is also has shown himself to be more durable, but I think that offense is going to open up a little bit and I don't view Ezekiel Elliott as the same all purpose, the same kind of all purpose stud in all phases as I do Todd Gurley and that offense, even if they do open it up, it's not going to be as efficient and productive as the Rams were. I also think that there's a chance that they shouldn't, they be looking to scale back Ezekiel Elliott's carries as well. Isn't that a concern in Dallas? I mean, how can they continue to feed him at that same high rate and not have him break down. And that to me is a, is a concern why they're not just re-signing Rod Smith is, is bewildering. Rod Smith is the best value running back on the market in free agency. Whoever gets him is going to get a steal. And the fact that the Dallas Cowboys are not locking him up at value is just cavalier malpractice. It's stupid. It's just stupid. You need to self scout Alex and know what you have in Rod Smith. Someone is going to get a steal in Rod Smith this year, and I'm going to be drafting him. I and mean, he will be my highest owned player in fantasy football. Rod Smith. Absolutely.
special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.